0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to 2ZQ Hot Takes, where we discuss issues both big and small. I am your host, the very handsome Tim Kirk, and today I'll be talking about the devil and Mr. Tim. Before I go any further, I have to say... That, as far as spirituality is concerned, I consider myself a skeptical agnostic. I believe there is an incredible intelligence to the universe as evidenced by scientific learning, i.e., God is in the math. However, the devil is in the details. And in New York City, we have a lot of details. And in the same breath, I am among the first to evoke the supernatural whenever I am frustrated or even mildly upset. I ask, Jesus Christ, what the hell is this? So, take me to task for being sacrilegious, disrespectful, and hypocritical. My mother would say, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. But that was about it. My mom was a devout Catholic, and I never recall her once uttering anything more profane than the word ass. And she would never say that in relation to Jesus, Mary, or Joseph. But representations of Satan or the devil are everywhere in our lives. It's funny. Jimmy Page has long been rumored to be a satanic worshiper, and I really have no idea about the veracity of that apocryphal claim. But in cult classics like the Rocky Horror Picture Show, Frankenfutter offers to get Brad, Barry Bostwick, and Janet, Susan Sarandon, a satanic mechanic during sweet transvestite. Red Hots have a devil on them. There is Red Devil Firearms, Red Devil Energy Drink, Red Devil Hot Sauce, which is pretty good. We eat deviled eggs and deviled ham. Something called Red Devil Kratom, otherwise known as Mitragyna speciosa, is a tropical evergreen tree in the coffee family native to Southeast Asia. It is indigenous to Thailand, Indonesia, Malaysia, Myanmar, and Papua New Guinea, where it has been used in traditional medicines since at least the 19th century. Kratom has opioid properties and some stimulant-like effects, and it is sold in New York City. Then there's the Red Devil, Secobarbital Sodium. Secobarbital, or secanol, otherwise known as a Red Devil, is a barbiturate. That is a white, odorless, slightly bitter powder and used as a sodium salt for sedation and to treat convulsions. Then there's the New Jersey Devils. We have those little devil emojis. Uh, According to Eddie Murphy in Comedians uh, in Cars Getting Coffee, Sammy Davis Jr. was a Satanist. Sammy said, you know, Satan is as powerful as God. In The Simpsons, Season 5, Episode 21, Lady Bouvier's lover, Marge's mother was being wooed by mister Burns, and she said, I swear, Monty, you are the devil himself. And mister Burns said, I who told you I uh oh uh yes yeah, yes ooh there is a fellow named Mitch Horowitz, author of Occult America, White House Seances, Ouija Circles, Masons, and the Secret Mystic History of Our Nation, He also leads Occult New York Walking Tours, which visits sites of the spiritual avant-garde movement that ultimately swept the nation in the early 19th century. So it is all over the place and has a lot of diverse strands. Occult shops of all kinds are all over New York City. Enchantments, Magical Child, etc. New Age places like Rockstar Crystals in New York City. And in many of these places, you can purchase crystals, talismans, Candles with pentagrams, powders, lucky charms. They're magically delicious. All over the place, there are pentagrams, graffiti tagged everywhere. And once you notice, you say, oh. And then you can't stop seeing them. Ooh. There is even Pentagram Publishing at 250 Park Avenue South. What a backdrop for so much paranormal, supernatural, occult, sinister activity. So very many occult movies have an occult theme set in New York City. One of the early ones that I am particularly fond of because it's so atmospheric and not because it's so good, and it's kind of depressing, is called The Seventh Victim, and it's a 1943 American horror film noir directed by Mark Robson and starring Tom Conway, Gene Brooks, isabel Jewell and kim hunter who was stella kowalski from a streetcar named desire and zira from the planet of the apes along with Hugh beaumont ward cleaver from leave it to beaver fame written by dewitt bodine and charles o'neill and produced by val luton for rko radio pictures the film focuses on a young woman who stumbles on an underground cult of devil worshippers in greenwich village new york city while searching for her missing sister It marks Robson's directorial debut and was Kim Hunter's first on-screen role. O'Neill had written the script as a murder mystery set in California that followed a woman hunted by a serial killer. Bodine revised the script, basing the story on a satanic society he had encountered in New York City. Released in August 1943, the film failed to garner significant income at the box office and received mixed reviews from critics who found its narrative incoherence a primary fault. It was later revealed that Robson and an editor, John Lockhart, had removed four substantial scenes from the final cut, including an extended conclusion. In spite of its mixed reception, the film became a cult film in England, noted by critics for its homoerotic undertones. What about that? 1943. But there's plenty more. Bell Book and Candle, 1958. At Ernie Kovacs, Jack Lemmon, James Stewart. And that was set in the village. Little Nicky, Adam Sandler. The Devil Wears Prada. Winter's Tale. Ghostbusters. Rosemary's Baby. Jacob's Ladder. Now, Jacob's Ladder, I always think that, you know, sometimes I have these little glitch-in-the-matrix experiences that remind me sometimes of things that happened in that movie because it's freaky. Angel Heart. Starts off in New York City. Devil's Advocate. A little bit of The Exorcist. End of Days. The Sentinel with the Gates of Hell in Brooklyn. Well, but that's a lot of occult stuff ingrained in our collective memory. So at one point, one of my buddies and I had a running contest to see which of us could find the weirdest place to take the other in New York City. We kept this up for over a year. And one night, he took me to a bar in the East Village in Alphabet City, which happened to be run by a coven of witches. He later ceded the contest to me because I took him to a well-known bar called Downtown Beirut, and the night we were there, there was a guy who turned out to be a regular, but he had a live pet rat crawling around his shoulders. Somehow that won the weirdest place contest over this joint, which was a former funeral home, painted black. The back of the place was cut off And when we were there, there was a table of five women who looked very much like the five women in Robert Palmer's Addicted to Love video. Really. And they were all sitting at this table in the middle of the room, snorting a titanic pile of cocaine right out in the open. And my friend was gleeful about his status in this competition we were having because it was insane. The people working there were all wearing dark robes with hoods and repeatedly attempted to get us to eat some very foul-smelling food in a kettle Shaped like a cauldron at the end of the bar. We respectfully declined and left shortly thereafter, never to return. And I am certain the place closed up. Okay. So we put that one in our memory bank and left it at that. Cut to 1989. Rakowitz the Dismemberer. And if anybody remembers this, a fellow by the name of Daniel Rakowitz was a low-life street guy who sold pot, had a girlfriend named Monica Birell, who was a dancer at Billy's Topless on 24th Street and 6th. And coincidentally, a number of years later, the building we live in, which we moved into on Halloween, I swear we did, also had a brothel on one of the floors. And the three girls who lived worked there in the brothel, who were junkie hookers, for real, also danced at Billy's Topless. What a coincidence. Rakowitz took a turn to the sinister side, killed his girlfriend, Dismembered her, cooked her, and ate parts of her, her brain, I think, and fed some of her to homeless people in the East Village. I, coincidentally, happened to be strolling in the East Village when some of her remains were found, and as I recall, perhaps due to the intensity of the situation, it was eerily quiet. And again, I just chalked it up to New York City weirdness and stored it in my memory bank, and I always thought that the smelly food in the cauldron at the witch's might have had a connection but nothing to do with me at all. As a sidebar, I could never get over the guys who were really hot, well-dressed dudes who would go to these junkie hookers, but that was their thing. They would pass us in the hallway, and I could just not reconcile what these dashing guys were doing with heroin-addicted prostitutes on a regular basis. Okay, then. So, the next part gets weird. Weird. And it has some very different perspectives about a man named Patrick Geffoise. And I am not sure of the pronunciation, but I will say Geffoise for expediency's sake. Here are a few perspectives and then mine. Chris Stein from Blondie said, Patrick Geffoise. Patrick was a musician and a self identified magician. He would get mixed up in some very heavy, dark Lower East Side stuff. Some of you might remember him. A great character. Hmm. Okay. Then there's an article by a very well-known denizen of Lower East Side in the East Village named Clayton Patterson, who was uh, famous for uh, videotaping a riot in Tompkins Square Park. And he did a bunch of other things. And his article that he wrote for the villager was, Cops were spellbound by the idea of magician as killer. The Lower East Side was a magical cauldron. The brew that percolated in this pot nourished a number of creative individuals who went on to and made a creative contribution to the world. Magic and mysticism are subjects of interest that have always found a place in the hearts of some fringe niche on the Lower East Side of NYC. In the late 1980s and early 90s, the local cops and the Manhattan District Attorney were in a sticky situation with the unresolved Monica Beerle murder a case wrapped up in the insanity and buffoonery around Texas sterner Daniel Rakowitz. There were individuals on both sides of this case who were deep into themes related to the end of the world. In their paranoid minds, a couple of assistant DAs created a mythology heavy in speculative details about a nationwide serial murder conspiracy. Rakowitz, the so-called monster of Tompkins Square Park cannibal, is being led and influenced by his mentor and teacher, the great white satanic cult leader patrick Geffoise. patrick they believed had orchestrated and directed the satanic ritual murder and dismemberment of beryl rakowitz's roommate just looking at the facts of the case made this bizarre idea hard to follow the fbi recognized that there was a phenomenon that often happens around unsolved cases that is the word satan will appear there are still those who hang around in public places and spin tales of the demonic old days DA could not have asked for a better-looking, badass, dark side black magician. Patrick fit the bill perfectly. He was a tarot card reader on St. Mark's Place and heavily identified himself with necromancy, a type of black magic. I met Patrick on the street one day. He was friends with Stacy the Squatter Junkie, and there were several other people we intersected with. I was immediately fascinated with Patrick. He was a full-fledged magician in more than one department. His mother had been a card reader in Paris. As a young man, he went to India to study Shiva, the God of Destruction, but instead met Swami Prabhupada, who brought Krishna consciousness to the Lower East Side and then out to the Western world. Patrick joined the movement and was one of the first devotees to take the books and literature across Denmark, France, Russia, America, and so on. In the movement, he met and joined with Melanie, a woman who was his mate for many years. Eventually, they fell into the malaise of heroin addiction. Heroin spiked with ape, old dreams and imaginary perceptions of grandeur. The greatest magician of them all, and why not? Daniel was a believer, but Patrick never hung out with Daniel Wackowitz. So says Patterson. Daniel was invited to Patrick's house a couple of times, so obviously they did. Patrick was a snob. Daniel was too street, too bordering on homeless, too uneducated in the ways of magic. Patrick was a well-read, studied person of the dark arts. Daniel just was. According to Patterson, he has a number of hours of videotape he recorded of Patrick. Daniel was not fascinating. All right. Locally, Geffoise got his magical props on St. Mark's by reading palms and tarot cards. Both Patrick and Melanie were HIV positive. Melanie got down to around 80 pounds. She died in the hospital, but as one of the only modern miracles I know of, she came back to life. She recovered and once again became an active member of the Krishna movement. Patrick knew he was dying and played up the magic warrior to the max. She and Patrick split. She lived and Patrick died. Patterson goes on to say, I think Patrick honestly scared the crap out of the two ADAs and possibly a couple of cops with his tales of we are at the end of time. He loved the drama. On the other hand, he absolutely denied having anything to do with Daniel Rakowitz. So he goes on to say, let Patrick die with the dignity of being a super badass. Badass? not sick fuck. Let the ADAs dwell on the projected evil-inspired insanity. Let the boys in the corner dream about how evil the world really used to be, and Daniel can remain the monster of Tompkins Square Park. Well, that's one perspective my experience with patrick was totally distinct and separate from any of this information and or opinions it was from him reading my tarot cards on st mark's place and it was a bit more striking and different i had just lost a job i loved with a great team of people due to the business closure that night and i was in a melancholy mood not wanting to go straight home so as i had done many times in the past I walked up through the South Street Seaport underneath the Brooklyn Bridge through the Lower East Side and made my way to the East Village. was strolling down St. Mark's and happened upon this guy who looked a bit like Peter Cushing. You know, of all the Hammer films with Dracula and Christopher Lee and he was also Grand Moff Tarkin from Star Wars. But he had lizard eyes and a taut platinum ponytail and was wearing what appeared to be black velvet on a hot night. And there was not one drop of perspiration on him. He fanned his hands over the cards on the table, and I was intrigued and sat down. It began. He read my tarot cards, and they kept turning up very positive for me. I was a teensy bit suspicious. He kept asking me, who sent you, like Mr. Burns? Him telling me that I am an agent of light and that I need to believe more in myself. And who sent you? With a French accent. How about that? So this went on until his shield shows up. And she says, this is all true, I know, because I read tarot cards. And then he insists on doing my astrological chart, mysteriously requesting only my date, time of birth, as well as location. Brooklyn! So I put this in a weird place. I'm kind of amused by all this stuff. And two weeks go by, and I go to get my chart. Oh, jeez. The building was across the street from Hamble courts. That I clearly remember. The buzzer, the shared bathroom door, his apartment door, all had Satan on them. Satan, depicted with cloven hoofs and a spiked tail and a forked tongue. And when I realized this was the button I had to press, I said, oh. So I go in. What an idiot. The entire apartment was painted black. The entire place. The walls, and I mean every wall, not a section of one wall, the walls were completely covered in stainless steel knives or daggers or whatever you describe them as. The whole place, from floor to ceiling, mounted with these things, except for three framed photos of him performing a black mass, or I assume so because I have never attended one, and a mounted ram's skull on a pike, and a bong. Okay, so now one eye on the door at all times. Running through multiple scenarios in my head to defend myself and get out of there. Do I keep my back to the wall? Would that trap me? Is this going to get weirder? It did. It got even weirder. What the hell was I doing there? Literally. His woman comes in. The same woman. The shill. With their kid who looked exactly like him, a mini-me version of Peter Cushing with lizard eyes and a platinum head of hair. And she insists on reading my cards. So I let her, because I was somehow emboldened uh, and a little amused at the sight of these people and their attachment to the devil and all of this foo-for-all. Again, I am an agent of light. Who sent me? And I need to believe in myself. Such profound advice coming from Satan-worshippers. Eh, It kept coming up really good, like I was blessed or something. I think I was. Maybe I still am. But what was running through my mind was, what kind of spells was this dude casting on me all that time? And after, what effect did it have? Jesus Christ, what the hell was that? And at the time, I had absolutely no idea anyone, anywhere, was drawing any connections, real or imagined, with Daniel Rakowitz. So when he is referred to as a badass, I say, really? Badass? Badass? Really? Not sick fuck? <laughs> so so my chart, which I kept for a while, but then threw away. It was all palaver as far as I was concerned anyway. But now, in retrospect, I sometimes wonder exactly what it contained. Years later, I was working at the Center for the Media Arts, or CMA, at 226 West 26th Street which at the time was the largest proprietary school in the U.S. In those days, the Village Voice was a vital print publication representing New York City. It cost a dollar. It was free for schools. We got it free every week. I just so happened to open it up and saw an article about Patrick being implicated in the murder. I freaked just a little. A very nice girl I work with, who I regaled with the story in relatively recent past, was sitting almost next to me, reading her copy of The Village Voice. And I said, Portia, that's the guy! That's the guy! And she happened to be sitting there reading it, and she said, I know exactly what you're talking about! And we both freaked, and shrieked, and freaked. And people came into the office and asked us what was going on, and they freaked. And then I was scolded by a bunch of very nice girls for ever doing that, and was told to never do that again, as if... That would ever happen again, or I would ever do something so foolish. I have sensed done other things as foolish, but not as literally satanic as that. But hell, my heart jumped up into the back of my throat. I thought, oh my God, I could have been lunch. Many years later, and I mean many years later, I was with a group of co-workers, and we had dinner at P.J. Clark's on the east side, then rode downtown to the East Village to a bar. One of the women we worked with was a regular at, and we were going to end the evening there. As we happily rode down, we get to the East Village, and I began inexplicably shuddering and shaking like I was having a seizure, until I looked out of the cab window and recognized the handball courts right across from Patrick's apartment, which was, shall we say, a bit unnerving. Several more years later, I happened to see a photo on the internet of the same guy, Patrick, in the Weekly World News, and it was about him being implicated in the murder, dismemberment, and cannibalism of this girl. I posted it on Facebook, and another friend I had previously worked with at another place, who by then had become a very well-known PR writer, saw my post and pinged me and told me about when he was an East Village activist, he and others would host barbecues to feed some of the less well-off neighbors. And some weird people from a coven would show up and try to foist weird, smelly sausages on people and nobody took them. I have to assume that this was at the same time uh, around I was at this bar with the coven and the same smelly food in the cauldron. Now, this all gave me pause to reflect on what kind of person I was am, and wanted to be for the rest of my life. I know I am a very flawed human and have my foibles, but I try... Try, try to stay away from recognizable evil as much as possible. And then I recalled something. My dad had a very good friend who, like my dad, was a very good man and an honorable fellow attorney. He went to Harvard. His roommate for the entire four years he was there, coincidentally, was Jack Lemon, of Bell, Book, and Candle. He always told me, stay close to your God. In conclusion... If you have faith, keep it. Believe that your faith delivers you from temptation, from evil. Try to say it every day. Even in the smallest examples, sort of like, I think we like it when other people say, God bless you when you sneeze. As Bill and Ted would say, be excellent to each other. Thanks for listening. See you next time. And as the kiddies say, peace out. Thank you.